Now, Lewis, uh, officially we've invited you here for an interview, but uh, actually um, uh, I've got a little instrument here. And so I thought we could give like a, about an, uh, maybe like an hour. It's, it's a guitar uh, for those who can't see the video. And uh, I thought we'd do like an hour and a half guitar lesson and then we'd ask a few questions <laughs> and we'd be done. How's, are you okay with that? It, I'm down. Lewis Cato is an amazing guitar player and I'm not. So why not? So the C sharp major seventh goes to no. Um, <laughs> Lewis Cato is a gifted musician. One of the reasons why he's now the band leader for the Late Show with Stephen Colbert. He's been in the band, known as Stay Human, since the start of the show in 2015. He's traveled the world touring with Bobby McFerrin and Marcus Miller, and has recorded with the likes of Beyonce, John Legend, and Mariah Carey. And now he's really front and center as the leader of the Colbert Band. Pretty heady stuff for a guy who grew up in a small town in North Carolina, sheltered musically. Congratulations <laughs> on the relatively new gig leading the band at Thanks, uh, at the Late Show. Although you've been there for a while, so yeah, I'm curious yeah. when you walk in the door these days. Yeah. It's been home for you for quite some time, but is there yeah. any kind of intangible that's different now that you're leading the band? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's intangible is probably the best word for it. You know, I, it has been, I've been there since, you know, since Stephen came over uh, to take over for Letterman in 2015. Uh, uh, so the, it, it, in that way, it's, it's very familiar, but the intangibles I think are, are just in largely in just like so many of the people that have also been there since day one and, and uh, the energy around, uh, you know, everyone's just really, really supportive and excited and, and, uh, and have, you know, we've all been in the, in the sort of trenches together, uh, uh, from the days before the show was even uh, successful, you know, so it, it really feels like a collective uh, kind of next step, you know, and and so I, I feel like the intangibles are are largely that I feel are largely in everyone else's energy around, like you know, the implications of uh, of this new chapter, you know, everyone everyone's is uh, is is just really overwhelmingly supportive and 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 the time that we have in the hallways and in the cracks and in between is that much more energetic you know is there anything spoken or unspoken about new expectations with this new role or is is the uh advice or the suggestion to you just do your thing as you've been doing your thing for several years now yeah, you know that I'm really grateful. I, I feel that the expectation is like, um, you know, what Stephen uh, uh, communicated to me was that he didn't want anything to change because the, the the band is is more or less the same. The core of the band is absolutely the same, and 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 him communicating that he didn't want anything to change uh is just a really it's a really it feels like a really empowering validating sort of uh place from which to grow um you know that like there, there's nothing wrong and, you know it feels, it feels like a parent in that sense it's like 
you're good. You're you're great. Just the the way you are. It's like okay, I can grow from here. We can build from here. It's very secure and validating uh, as a feeling. Um, so I think to answer your question, it's um, I think the the expectation is 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 more or less to let's let's build from here. I've interviewed in the past uh, Paul Schaefer and Will Lee, who were in the Letterman oh, band wow. for you know more yeah. than thirty years, right from yeah. the get go. Yeah. I remember Will telling me they had certain signs, like someone would say something <laughs> and like as they're going to break, like they had certain signs, like they both had like a musical vocabulary that was the same, but also signs like, okay, we're do that was like an internal language. Is there some <laughs> sense of that in the band? Uh, like something will happen. Oh, we're going to do this. And either something needs to be spoken or nothing need be spoken because you guys have been together for so long. Yes. Oh my God. Yeah. There's there's so many inside jokes and signals and things. Uh, uh, <laughs> a lot of uh, one of the sort of unifying factors amongst the musicians uh, in our band is uh, I think most of us most of us have like sort of like both musical and church backgrounds. So <laughs> whenever there's like a there happens to be a some some sort of reference that happens on the other side of the stage uh that has any that quotes like a line from a scripture or something or an old gospel hymn or song or something like there's just a you know you don't even have to look like sometimes we'll just do one of these you know and every everybody knows you know it's just like oh that's you know if someone says grace you know it's like oh how sweet the sound you know and uh, and that may make its way into the whatever song we're playing next. People will will quote like, you know, gospel songs or hymns or spirituals and things just internally that only we get. <laughs> it's an internal language. Is that the same as you you had have had a long touring career with uh, many musicians? Yeah. Is that built up also when you're touring with the with a band that you have this kind of internal language? that kind of grows from night to night? Oh my gosh, absolutely. That was one of my favorite things about m my touring years uh, was building that rapport uh, over a course of time, just night in, night out. You you definitely, you learn people in a way, uh, I think uh, music, musically, music is such a doorway into, I always feel like you, um, like when you when you find a when you're lucky enough to find a musical connection with another musician another human right uh you jump it's such a like a vortex a gateway into like soul spirit body uh and it's always i always joke like i feel like when you find that a lot of times you find your way like just like it, in a relationship with someone like very you go very deep after like you know a few like a few minutes and then like <laughs> you come out the other side like oh what's your name again who are you <laughs> where are you where are you from like why you know you know because you feel so you get so connected but over like doing it night after night especially like a three-week run four week six weeks uh you you definitely develop uh a like a unique language i think of uh bobby mcferrin uh we had a lot of we have a we to this day like we <laughs> i think the last time we facetimed there there was more 
singing than than words <laughs> you know it's uh uh you don't words kind of like like the last thing on the list when you get to connect when you're lucky enough to connect on on those levels uh i think of marcus miller uh who is was a longtime uh, mentor and friend uh, 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 that we toured together for a long time went through a lot of life together and we definitely we got to play together at the Hollywood Bowl just last month. Uh, um, and, uh, man, yeah, the, musically, the, it's it's so far beyond words. Uh, you know, I, I, I give him, I can, I can play like one note on the hi-hat and he knows like, oh, that's where the tempo is. Or I can come off of a, I can change one small thing just musically and he knows like, you know, oh, this is signal that, or the same for him, like, and if he does one group, like I know, it it it's a it means that it there's a it's a language you know like there's there's an association to oh this is out of tune or we need to pick up the tempo or uh, we should wrap this up you know what I mean but it's it's definitely beyond words and at this point even uh, <laughs> looks you know it's always always struck me also it's like a great sports team. Uh, it's also yeah. it's also about it's also about talent because yeah. when yeah. you have incredibly talented musicians like yourself yeah. and people that you've played with and let's say you're in a sports team and you're surrounded by other people who have a lot of talent but are willing to submerge that talent a little bit so as to act as one unit yeah it's, that's a beautiful thing because you can just yeah. look at each other and like okay we know what we're gonna do here yeah it does feel like a club in terms of growing up, tell us what can you tell us about the town that you grew up in in North Carolina? Oh wow, I grew up in Albemarle, North Carolina. Um, it is. Uh, I didn't. It didn't strike me as a small town until I until I moved to uh, uh, the city. <laughs> I moved to Boston out of high school, and quickly realized, wow, I, I guess I'm from a small town. <laughs> uh, I had never seen uh, taxis uh, or or uh, trains or you know city buses and things, and the pace was just so fast. But um, yeah, the town I grew up in is is uh, I think it's it's close knit. It's a lot of really good people. Um, uh, more or less everybody knows everybody like you, you don't have to be famous or well-known to just know anyone that you like if you if you go out to the grocery store you're gonna you know you're gonna see people that you know the, the same for the gas station anywhere it's, it's kind of like there's like one strip in downtown Albemarle that is you know it's been that way probably for I don't know 100 years uh one assume I assume I don't quote me on that and is there a notion, is there a notion of, uh, oh, there's a big world out there and when time comes, I'm, I'm busting out of here. Uh, is there a notion that there's a big world out there musically or was it the music that you were part of, you, you were aware or were not aware of all the other music that was out there? You know, from, I'd say for me, I feel like I stuck out like a sore thumb in that regard because uh, a lot of uh, my friends and family, people that I grew up with, sort of came up in that town and built their lives in that town. 
And I, I, I feel like the more music I became exposed to, the more I felt aware that there's a big world out there. There's more than I'm, than I'm seeing here. Not knowing, not I didn't have a sense of what it was, or what it entailed, or how it worked. But I could feel that you just, just. I mean, for me, it was definitely largely through music. You know, as my friends, uh, I had a couple of friends that made me, that burned me a couple of CDs of music that I wasn't allowed to listen to. And that's how I, that was sort of like my, uh, the my way into like, oh, there's, there's more. And I, and I just sort of assumed that like the people that were making the records, like the contemporary Christian uh, music that I was, I grew up listening to somebody's got to be making that and I kind of want to be doing that. Like I've always got an affinity for recording. So I think that was sort of like my gateway into like finding out what was outside of like my small town. And then actually I got to give credit to my band director because he was really a voice that, that literally came to my mom and said like, he's got to get out of Stanley County. Uh, and and ordered me brochures from Juilliard and Berkeley, and I remember very. I distinctly remember looking through like the Berkeley brochure and seeing, oh, this guy Kim with Denard who was in this bass video that the guy from the local music store gave me teaches at Berkeley, uh, and he was playing with Jaco Pastorius, who was like one of my bass heroes. And then you know the the tra- I followed the train tracks from there. Uh, in terms of growing up and playing music in the church, uh, yeah. the, the list of wonderful musicians who essentially were educated and and came to the fore through uh, the church and specifically through the black church is yeah. long and historic. Um, first of all, what at what point did you start participating? in the music in your church and not just uh, be someone who heard that music? You know, I, I, for, I, my memory does not go back to a time where I did not feel compelled to participate. My mom got me my first drum kit when I was two. And I believe when I was three or four, I started playing with her in church. My mom sings and plays piano. And I started playing with her in church as a toddler. And subsequently, my, my sister and my older sister and I would sing together, sometimes with my mom and sometimes just the, the two of us in church. But that was, it, I can't remember a time where I was not participating. Like anytime I was here, I mean, and I, my mom was in town a couple, a few weeks ago and was reminding me of, not remind. I guess it's not reminding if you don't remember because it's before my memory <laughs> goes back. It was like even as a toddler, like you, 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 you would you wanted to play so bad always, and I guess like when we would go to other church conventions and things, I always, you know, I'm like this five year old, you know, that like wants to like play, and no one would, they wouldn't like really let me play because it was like a circle and community and stuff, and. I always wanted to. So in my home church, I was, I was as we, and as we moved churches, I was always playing. And a lot of us have a difficult enough time mastering one instrument. 
the notion of taking on other instruments um, and at a pretty early age. What do, you, what do you think that was about? Oh, my gosh. I think at this point, in retrospect, I, I kind of, I mean, at the time, I think it was, it was, it, I, I felt connected to all, I always felt connected to rhythm, melody, and, and, and uh, tonal foundation. And I think, I mean, as a kid, it was kind of a lot of curiosity and I would bounce around to things. I'm, I, I think that's, I think my, we were saying a little bit before we started just about talking about curiosity and, and uh, my nature was always to, I bounced around to more instruments than I landed on. You know, like I, when my, my sister was, in a, was an amazing clarinetist and I'd bounce around and fiddle on her clarinet for a while for spells, she played oboe because they needed an oboe player, but that didn't stick. Uh, I played saxophone for a while. That didn't necessarily stick. Barry sax was like, I did that for, for about a year, I think. But the ones that I stuck with, I think I found, I felt a connection to, which was more tuba, trombone, drums, bass, guitar, and my voice. And uh, I don't know. I think it, it's just different parts of, of my of of my identity, of my uh, feeling a connection to, to rhythmic and melodic foundations, and uh, just personality of being sort of like a curious person. I like figuring. I like hearing how figuring out how things tick and like. If I like something, I like to hear, like to tinker and find out why I like it. Now, it strikes me that when you think about instruments and instruments that uh, elicit excitement, um, mm -hmm. sexiness, for want of a better term, the guitar, yeah, yeah the yeah. guitar, of course. Drums, yeah, yeah. okay, drums. <laughs> the, the tuba? <laughs> you know... It's like just I'm not I, I'm not saying I'm just saying you know, the tuba. Uh, hey, let's go see that guy playing the tuba. He sold out the garden tonight. <laughs> just curious, just curious. Uh, yeah, you know, I think tuba really. Uh, I feel like it was. I don't know. I landed there because initially I wanted to play trombone when I was in sixth grade and they were, you know, our ba band started in seventh grade. So coming into seventh grade, I, I guess, no, I had it backwards. I wanted to play tuba, but they didn't have a tuba at the time. Cause <laughs> they only had they, this, the, the, the county I was in, uh, Stanley County, like it was like North Stanley was the high school I was going in and North Stanley only had one working tuba and it was being used by Aaron Burleson who was the one tuba player. He was graduating as I was. So anyways, I played, that was how I ended up at trombone. And then I felt connected to that. But I guess, yeah, this whole story was mute because I actually did want to play tuba from, yeah. from the beginning of, of my, of, of, of band. It seems, Why tuba? it seems to have worked out. It seems to have worked out. Okay. You know uh, what? I feel like it was, you know, it's, it's similar to like my identity as a bass player because it's probably connected to my desire to like have some like guiding role and like making sure things are okay. And when you're playing like a, a bottom instrument, like the bass or the, or, or tuba, uh, you get, you, you have, you hold a certain responsibility for the tempo, for the tonality, 
like as a tuba player, like if if you're playing guitar and you you're playing, you can be playing chords, and I can completely I can make your major chord a minor chord just by playing a different note on the tuba. You know, mm-hmm. I can I can speed up the tempo, take it down. You know, it's it's and so in that way, sort of like maybe my OCD was very like I can make sure everything is okay. And like the music is doing like what I feel like it needs to be doing from the bottom, you know? So I think the lesson here is the tuba highly underrated. Highly underrated. (laughs) So you head off to Berkeley uh, College of Music in Boston, one of the great musical institutions in the country. Is the feeling at that point, yeah, this this is going to work. I've got it. Or is there any element of doubt? Do Do I have what it takes? Oh my gosh, there was definitely an immediate element of doubt uh, because I was just, I came from such a small town and I didn't really have a community. Uh, One of the first things I I realized was number one, everyone, this is like a collection of big, big fish from all sizes of ponds, some from small ponds, but more from like big ponds, uh, like the best of the best, you know? And I quickly realized that me having been a big fish musically in a small pond of like, and not growing up around like a community of being challenged by musicians uh, in a community, I quickly realized that I had a a lot to learn and a long way to go. Like I didn't, when I got to Berkeley, I didn't know James Brown. I didn't know Prince. I didn't know the Rolling Stones. I didn't know the Beatles. I came out of a real bubble, you know, I was growing up, I was only allowed to listen to Jesus music as my mom called it. So I really felt uh, there was definitely a, a an immediate period of doubt of like, whoa, I'm really behind the eight ball here. But subsequently, I, I just I went around to everybody that I met and was like, give me all your music. <laughs> and, uh, and just kind of dove in and, and, uh, it was discouraging for for a long time. I, I that was sort of my approach, I guess, was to um, I was like, well, if I'm going to be able to do this for a living and support my family, and and then subsequently drop out of college <laughs> to work, like I better keep learning. And initially, I was like, I, I should maybe pick one instrument that I can like, so I can like go farther on just one than the. Like and so I put down like all my other instruments, or I tried to at least, and and put my focus like initially on dr- as a drummer, and that sort of you know I, I think as I started working more and touring more and recording more and getting it becoming more at home and in demand in the studio, started to kind of open back up again and and allow. Uh, allow myself to more be as I am. As you get more intrigued by uh, secular music, for want of a better term, and enmeshed in it and learning about it, is there a conversation at home with your mom? It's like, you know, Mom, uh, I love the church music. This is nothing, no knock against the church music, but there's a whole world of music out there uh, that I am going to pursue and do you have to kind of explain that or did she kind of essentially understand that? I think she sort of essentially understood that. I was definitely nervous about it 
and some gigs I was doing, I was were, were made me more nervous than others. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think I was, I, I think it was fortunate in in the sense that I sort of gravitated to musicians like Bobby initially, uh, and and uh, and uh, who is sort of a spiritual uh, musician himself. He's not a lot of he's more instrumental really than than lyrics you know he's a master mm -hmm. improviser or like uh people like marcus who is purely an instrumentalist and that was like a a sort of a fortunate gateway of like when it was like when my mom who's checking on everything that i'm doing and like and like when we'd come to town or we'd play in north carolina and she could she'd see me playing with you know instrumentalists and that was you know a good gateway into i don't know how how much she's familiar with the work I've done in the hip hop world. And then now playing on, you know, we, the, some of the, I mean, some of the cold opens that I, it's, it's, it eased its way in, I think. And, <laughs> and, and she's the most gracious, understanding, loving human, human being that I know. Was there also a phone call home when you decided to leave Berkeley early because you were getting gigs in Boston? <laughs> and, and, uh, may I ask how that phone call went? <laughs> It was a lot of, well, are you sure? <laughs> are are you sure? Are you sure? Um, are, are you sure? <laughs> it was a lot of, are you sure? Uh, not, a, I mean, that's just the nature of uh, who she is. Uh, you know, she's she she's a very steady, calm presence uh, as a person. And that's how she presents. But so she's never really, she's not going to like tell you what you're feeling, but she'll make her concern known, you know? And she was very concerned. <laughs> I think I can say that safely. That, convers that, that conversation continued for a while. Um, uh, and I, I think it didn't really stop until uh really until probably in, until uh I, I moved to new york because it was kind of the expectation like well i was just taking a break <laughs> and then i was just you know i was working and, and as they see me like touring more and more that it stopped coming up <laughs> you know with school and then and then for sure like when i started playing on tv it that 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 was you know, okay, we've moved on. He's he's okay. The concern is has been put to rest. He's he he'll, he's okay. <laughs> I've heard similar stories from other people I've interviewed. Uh, a comedian who's playing Carnegie Hall, standing ovation, and uh, the comedian's mom says, "Well, if this doesn't work out, he can at least go back to teaching." You know, right? And, you know, <laughs> so there seems to be something in everyone's journey. There seems to be that moment of, yeah. oh, this is going to be it. And it yeah. seems to be working out okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, when yeah. you're gigging in Boston for those early years, mm -hmm. uh, and then touring, is there a sense of this is great? This is I'm doing it, and this is what I want. Or even in those moments, you, a terrific musician, playing with other great musicians and seeing the world uh, and playing great music, is there some notion of no? There's more out there that I want to achieve. Yeah, you know, I think it's I I, I've, I felt. A, a, a pretty good balance of both along the way. Um, when I was uh, 
playing club gigs in Boston, uh, uh, in in working a whole lot and practicing a whole lot at that time uh, for not a lot of money, uh, but still had like you know my uh, my my oldest daughter uh, was born when I was nineteen, so I, I had like a sense of responsibility always tied to uh, being a prof- professional musician. Um, but I think uh, I always sort of had a balance of being grateful that this was even working in the first place. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, wow, I, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm working around the clock, but like, but it's putting food on the table and allowing me to provide for the things that are p- people that are most important uh, in my life. And I, I feel like it's, there's, there's more, that I that I can you know either working more efficiently or like more or like being able to expand. I think when I was playing club gigs, it sort of expanded to playing wedding gigs, and as I was playing wedding gigs, it's still like the the balance of like I'm so grateful to be you know be able to I'm, I'm i'm still working you know i'm i'm able to like make a living and support my family making music which from just most of my childhood i didn't know how again i didn't have a concept of how that worked or if it worked uh you know um so i've always just been really grateful and and aware of of how lucky uh i am to to be able to make a living doing it but at the same time, like I wasn't, I didn't, I didn't, I never felt like, all right, I'm just going to be playing weddings the rest of my life. There's, there's a ceiling. There, there, there's not, there's a ceiling here. And I know there's more beyond this ceiling. So as I'm playing wedding gigs and everyone that my, my wedding band family will, will tell you, I was always trying things and implementing, uh, seeing just different musical bits and things that I was working on, seeing how much I could get away with, uh, you know, from within that and and uh uh and then when I was touring the same thing like when I started touring more and kind of grew out of like uh where I didn't need to play weddings anymore uh, uh I I was feeling the, the ceiling there and I felt drawn to I fell in love with songwriting and 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 like you know the pieces start to like kind of make a shape of something that is outside of what you're doing uh and uh so yeah i sorry for the long answer no, that's okay that's <laughs> uh, okay I, yeah i feel like it's it's always been sort of like the a balance of both that like i'm i'm so grateful <laughs> to be able to make a living like doing this only thing, what in my mind is the only thing that really always makes sense to me <laughs> that is music so there was never a plan B or was there a plan B? Like, oh, if this work doesn't work out, I'm going to try fill in the blank. There was never a plan B, which maybe is foolish and maybe is, you know, I don't know, fate. Who knows? Speaking of fate, in, in so many lives uh, and successful careers, there seems to be a moment where something happens and it kind of opens a window uh, and I've, in interviewing many people, I've, 
I've heard those stories, but I've never had someone who decided not to get their wisdom teeth taken out or at least go the next day to get their wisdom teeth taken out and have that be. <laughs> oh, oh, so, uh, deep hopefully, dive. Ho hopefully this story is true. Otherwise, I've just made a huge fool out of myself. Uh, uh, no, how it's did very it true. How did it come about? I mean, I was in New York. I don't remember what I was. I think I was producing. I forget what I was there for. I may have been working on a record, another record I was producing. But basically, I was living in Boston at the time because I had been in a tour bus accident a couple years prior uh, in, in Switzerland where I broke my back, sprained my neck. So that had, I had gone to Boston to recover and was uh, got married and was living in Boston at the time. And I was come to New York come back to New York to to work on various projects. And I was in New York working on one of said projects. Uh, and the day I was supposed to come back to get my wisdom teeth uh, taken out, uh, I got a call from one John Baptiste to essentially produce a song he was working on for a TV show that remained unnamed at the time. And if you know John, you know that like, if there's one person that can dive in and, and go deep on a concept and an idea without actually saying what that what the idea is, it's John. <laughs> and, that, and that was, you know, I think we must have probably talked on the phone for like an hour or two. I, I, it, and that maybe actually be, really be the range. Maybe it's more like it may have been a couple hours. Um, but anyways, I I did decide, I, I didn't know him before. And that's sort of the bizarre quality you're referencing. It's like, yeah, it's like, am I going to change my, my doctor's appointment around to like stay in town to do some session that I don't know what it's for and I don't know how much it pays. And there was just a lot of unknowns there, but yeah, I think spiritually, it, it, uh, in my in my gut, it felt just, I mean, probably a combination of like the newness of it and not knowing. I also didn't know who anything about his career either. And we had never really met, but it just, I don't know, it felt like, okay, it, it, it feels like somewhere in the realm of things outside of what I'm doing that, that, that there's an energy there that I feel that feels like I feel, I feel some resonance, like, you know. Uh, so yeah, so I, so I stayed, uh, in town an extra, an extra night. Uh, my buddy Blair, who is an incredible engineer who I've worked with a tribe called Quest with for many years, let me stay on his couch an extra night. Uh, and I showed up to Flux Studios and we, uh, uh, we ended up, uh, ended up being the theme song for the late show with Stephen Colbert. Um, and yeah, I played uh, I played a bunch of the instruments on it. Where we worked it up, we arranged it, uh, and then the next thing I know, uh, I'm in the you know in the old office, the CBS office buildings with Stephen and the uh, the uh, the exec producers, and and we're I'm with my laptop, kind of just uh, going through like the different versions and edits and like making like you know, 30 second version for the ads and a minute, 20 second version for the longer spots and the, 
figuring out the time, working out, making adjustments for the timing for the opening credits. And yeah, it really, uh, that's, that's definitely a major transformative moment for which I had, you know, the, uh, <laughs> I, I don't, I wouldn't even have thought of it as such a turning point had you not worded it that way just now, because like, had I kept my <laughs> wisdom teeth appointment, uh, we probably, we might not even be sitting here today. <laughs> somehow, I, I think somehow we were. <laughs> you know, talent, talent is talent. Um, oh, uh, last thing, Lewis, um, I'm curious, you've traveled the world, you have played with uh, the great musicians, and you yourself as a great musician, both on the show and in touring. Uh, how much do those early years growing up in North Carolina the home you grew up in, the church that you grew up in, the music that you heard. How much do you think those years affect the work that you do now? I think 100%. 100%. I mean, in some tangible ways, I used to sort of marvel at how sheltered I was growing up in, in the sort of bubble of of Stanley County, North Carolina, and, and sort of being a bit walled off from popular culture just in my home because when I started working with well-known people it, it I, I didn't I didn't have I didn't have that sort of like celebrity fascination element you know what I mean so I think it shaped the way that I was able to and I'm and I'm still I feel like I feel like I'm able to pretty much I don't know show up as a natural human being with all sorts of levels of talented, gifted working professionals that have varying degrees of notoriety. Uh, I feel like that's a really tangible way that like my upbringing uh, affects, has affected my path and my, my journey. And then morally, I think uh, 100% like the, the, the spiritual grounding of the moral compass of of uh, uh, growing up in in the churches that I grew up in, and underneath my my mother, who is like again like the most incredible human being that I know, it is a hundred percent shaped the way I show up in the world, the way I move through the world, and in 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 terms of making music with people, I grew up making music with her first and her being like someone that is that that has like an unwavering moral compass like we were talking about music being such a powerful gateway into like connecting with a person i always kind of had that connection of like music to something sacred and like and and humanity so it a hundred percent affects the way that i interact and make music with people Louis Cato, a fine and respected touring and studio musician who is now the leader of the band, The Late Show with Stephen Colbert Band. Before the Cheering Started is a production of June 14th Productions and Gemini 13 Productions. This episode was created and written and produced by me. Guitar playing, that's me as well. No extra charge. The episode was edited by Lou Pellegrino. I'm Bud Mishkin, and this is Before the Cheering Started. Thanks for joining us on The Journey.